Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, June 4th, 2021. At one high school summer camp, Uh, that I was a part of the staff running the camp, we did something called the 3 a.m. gospel test. And so what we did was at 3 a.m. on one of the nights of the camp, we went to some of the guys' rooms and we woke them up on camera and shined a light in their face and said, hey, it's 3 a.m., can you tell me the gospel And uh, it turned into somewhat of a humorous video, seeing some of these high school guys try to collect their thoughts uh, at 3 a.m. in the morning in the middle of camp week when many of them were tired and some of them were very clear and instantly on it. Others were, well, not so much. Um, But that's a good question to ask. Sometimes when I talk to people about even preaching, I say, hey, well, one thing about your message that you should be ready for is the 3 a.m. test. If somebody woke you up at 3 a.m. and said, hey, what are you preaching about? You you should have a clear answer. Well, do you have a clear answer if someone were to wake you up at 3 a.m. this upcoming night and say, hey, what is the gospel? And if you want maybe one of the best biblical answers or one verse or two that puts it in a very succinct form, uh, one of the best places that you could go would be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so that's where we're going to go today, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 11. And uh, it really starts with him reminding them of the gospel. It seems that he's talked about various issues. We've uh, looked now at spiritual gifts and love in chapters 12 through 14. But now in chapter 15, he wants to come back and remind them of the gospel. And look especially at the first few verses. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And right there, especially in those two verses, I think you're going to get to one of the best 3 a.m. test type answers to the question, what is the gospel? Someone shakes you awake tonight and says, hey, what's the gospel? A great answer would be, well, Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures, right? That That's hitting on the good news of the gospel. And really, we have to remember the gospel is a message about what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished. And this kind of says that he has died for our sins. And obviously, there's necessary background that we need to know to for the gospel to make sense. And that's where even when it says Christ died for our sins, that's going to start opening up the door for us to make sure we understand the background that God is our creator and that he is holy and perfect and that we as mankind, we are sinful and separated from God. 
And that kind of is the bad news that creates the need for a good news that we have sins that need to be dealt with. But the good news of the gospel is Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he rose again. And we see all over the New Testament and we're about to see in this chapter one of the greatest explanations on why the resurrection is so important. And so the gospel, we have to always remember, comes back to the good news of what Jesus has done, that he died for our sins and that he rose again. And that that is how we can be reconciled to God, that we sinful human beings can be reconciled to a holy creator God because of what Jesus has done. So are you clear on that, that there is nothing in this world that is more important for us to have a clear answer to than the question, what is the gospel? And this chapter reminds us of the gospel being of first importance and what it is. And even though that's a very brief, maybe 3 a.m. kind of answer there, even some of the words in there help would help us to expand and understand, again, the background and the big picture of all the implications of the gospel. And these are very important things for us to understand. The gospel uh, is not um, four books of the Bible, which, you know, if you ask many people in the United States of America, hey, what's the gospel? They'd be like, oh, isn't it it one of those books? And the gospel is not just a genre of music. The gospel specifically, even right here, shows us it's referring to the specific things that Jesus has done. And that should always be on the tip of your tongue, even frankly, at 3 a.m. if necessary. And so it's important for us to know that. It's important for us to proclaim that. But it's also important that we don't just know it at an academic level. It's not just, oh, I can pass the test. We also need to make sure that we kind of take the gospel personally and realize, hey, Christ died for my sins and rose again. And without him, I would be nothing. And we see Paul kind of go on to this as he talks about um, Jesus appearing to Cephas, which I think was another name for Peter, and that Jesus appeared even to 500 brothers at one time post-resurrection. But then he talks about ultimately Jesus appearing to him. And we know even that probably a reference to the road to Damascus when Jesus appears to Saul and Saul is saved and eventually becomes the Paul that we know we read about and the Paul that wrote this letter. And he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so there we see Paul not just talking about the gospel as some abstract out there thing, but something that is very personal to him because he knows without the gospel, he wouldn't be saved. And he knows that it's by the grace of God, he is what he is. Can you also identify with that? Even as we think about the gospel in this passage, is it, oh yeah, I know that and I've always known that and I'm a Christian because you know I made the right choices. Or can you humbly say, uh, by the grace of God, I am 
what I am. And we see that grace should cause us to work hard. Uh, that It should cause us to seek to serve God and to live out the gospel. But even then we realize even that is the grace of God at work in my life. So as we think about 1 Corinthians 15, do you know the gospel? Could you pass the 3 a.m. gospel test? But more than that, do you take that personally? And can you humbly thank God for the gospel and for your salvation like Paul does? Let's move on now to Psalm 69, uh, verses 9 through 21. And you see Paul, even as he reflects on salvation, well, he is eager. He is zealous for God and he is zealous for the gospel. And we see something of the zeal that we should have as we look at this passage. In verse 9, it says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And we know there's ways that that was true of David. He was the one that prepared to build the temple. And we know also this verse will refer to David's greater son, Jesus Christ. And that Jesus uses this even in the cleansing of the temple or as it gets to the end of verse 21, the very end of our reading today, giving him sour wine to drink. We think of what happened on the cross. And so we see some prophetic messianic references in this psalm as well. But we should think about it some for ourselves. Do we have a zeal for God? Or like Paul, do we have a zeal for the gospel? Because if we do, there's going to be difficulties that come across that. What happened to Jesus? Well, he was crucified. And if we take a stand for Christ and are zealous for him, there will be blowback that you will experience. The the reproaches of those who reproach Christ will fall on you. Uh, But the good news from this passage is in those times, you have a place that you can turn to. And, And that is ultimately to God. In verse 13, he says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Right? When we find ourselves in hard places, because we have a zeal for God, he's the one that we can look to. And look at verse 16. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. And if you know the gospel, then you should be familiar with the steadfast love and abundant mercy of God. Even as we talked about recently at Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley from John 15, as the Father loved the Son, so does Jesus love us. And that's the kind of love that we can bank on. That's the kind of love that we can lean into when we find ourselves in difficult times, particularly difficult times because we are zealous for God and for the gospel. Uh, Let's go on now to 2 Samuel 20 uh, and 21. In these two chapters, we kind of read, again, we ended yesterday with Judah giving a harsh answer to the other tribes, and we see that leads to then this rebellion, which is thankfully short-lived, and uh, you see some different dynamics at work, and here you see Joab, again, uh, killing someone, kind of because they're getting in his way. And in a few days, we're going to see how things ultimately end for Joab and those that live by the sword will die by the sword. And we also see that this rebellion and this man named Sheba, well, it doesn't go well for him and he ends up getting his head thrown over the wall. Uh, Chapter 21 is interesting with this whole story of David 
avenging the Gibeonites. Now, if you remember all the way back in Joshua, remember the city of Gibeon is those people that kind of tricked Joshua and the Israelites where they put on old clothes and packed up some moldy bread and went on a journey and made it made it look like they had come from a far, far away place to make a treaty with these people because they saw how their God was with them. And Joshua and the Israelites did not seek God and his counsel and his wisdom. So they made a treaty with the Gibeonites and then all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, you guys aren't from some far distant country. You're from right here in the promised land. Well, now we're fast forwarding quite a bit and we see This wasn't mentioned earlier, but we see that Saul clearly broke that promise and broke that treaty towards the Gibeonites. And God even is standing by that promise that there has been a famine, and that's because there is guilt on the hands of the Israelites toward the Gibeonites. And as you think about that, this chapter does raise some interesting questions as the descendants of Saul eventually then are punished for something that Saul did. And so you might ask, well, how does that go with other parts of scripture where, hey, sons and their sons shouldn't be punished for the sins of the father? Well, you know, how, how does that go together? And that's a, a fair question. And I don't know that we get all the answers that we might be asking from this specific chapter, but that's where we want to lean into what is clear. And what is very clear is that God uh, holds the people of Israel accountable for breaking their promise, for breaking uh, and not being faithful to the word that uh, they had made. So if there's questions that you don't feel like you understand about this chapter, lean into what is very clear, that God does take promises very seriously. And we can obviously be thankful that he keeps his promises to us. And may this be a powerful reminder for us to keep our promises. Well, finally, we look at Mark chapter 13 this morning, and we look at verses 14 through 23 today. And remember, this is a part of what's known as the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus is talking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And a lot of the focus of this discussion starts to look towards the future and starts to really, I think, get to the end times. And what is that going to be like? And today it talks about the abomination of desolation and this time of uh, incredible tribulation that is going to come. In verse 19, it says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. So I think What you're seeing in the reading today should start getting even us thinking towards the future, towards what I believe scripture teaches a time of tribulation that is coming even a specific period of seven years and even likely focusing on the second half of that period, a three and a half year period, sometimes referred to as the great tribulation and the timing of that period is set, says, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days that that tribulation that's going to happen is not going to go on forever. And how that's all going to end, we're going to see tomorrow is with the return of Christ, the son of man coming on the, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And so may we all be ready for what comes in the future because we have responded to the gospel that has come uh, in the past and that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and rose again. And so may we know that, may we take it personally like the apostle Paul did, and may we proclaim that in any way that we can today. 
Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.